We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. These two chapters, they're kind of, uh, there's a lot of uh, good one-liners in here, you know, like little verses that you can just take and there's so much meaning to it. And I think the first one, section 58, verse 2. Early I say unto you, blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death, and he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. Like that right there, faithful in tribulation. The saints have already experienced kind of a lot of this at this point, a lot of persecutions and stuff like that. But I think it applies to us as well. He that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. You may not see it here. You may not see it in this life. Yeah. It might not be till later, but it's, you know, it's coming when you're faithful in tribulation. And what, to me, what it means to be faithful in tribulation is to understand that you're, number one, going through a tribulation. You're going through a hard time. That this is not any cause of, well, I guess it could be self-imposed, but it, that it's it's not something that is going to just go away, you know, or something that you can just change immediately. That it might be a long time and that you, knowing that, are still able to abide by the commandments. It reminds me of this lady. So my mom's from Argentina and they went through a, a military dictatorship for several years. And there is a lady in the area where she's from in the very, very south of Argentina. Her name was Jane Austen. <laughs> she's a Welsh lady um, of Welsh descent, member of the church. She was converted to the church. Uh, they kind of had to shut down the branches because of the dictatorship and no missionaries and all that. She's in a very small town. So it probably had a branch presidency that was missionaries. And so she couldn't really attend or pay tithing or do anything. And it wasn't until the military dictatorship was was abolished that they kind of restarted up everything. And she took to church with her a shoebox full of all of her tithing from the entire time she couldn't go. And it was like faithful in tribulation. Like she still set aside that tithing money even though she knew she couldn't pay it. And even though, you know, years had gone by and maybe inflation had changed the value of the money, it didn't matter. She was like, this is not my money, you know? And so I think about that and I'm like, uh, that's a good example of, of just maintaining the, the, the principle and following the commandments regardless of your circumstances. So that, that verse is really good to me, I think. We talk about the word faithful or faithfulness. And you can't have faithfulness without a period of time. Right. Like, um, just like you can't have patience without 
things that make you anxious for an outcome and you have to exercise patience. It's kind of that saying like, be careful what you pray for. Because we're like, oh, Heavenly Father, give me more patience. Help me with my anger. Help me with my temper, you know. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen by removing all of the opportunities for you to have that virtue. That's going to happen by giving you more opportunities to exercise that virtue. Um, just like if we were to say, hey, I want to be able to run longer. Okay. Um, <laughs> in order to do that, you need to start running and and then push yourself and continue and continue. It's not going to happen by sitting on the couch and then thinking, okay, I think I can run longer, but you never actually do it. I think we forget, you know, there's a process to things. And I like the next, well, like you said, all this whole chapter, you could, there's so many gems, but the next one is interesting, three and four. You cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time, the designs of your God concerning those things which will come there hereafter. And the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but it is nigh at hand. It's if you look at a, at um, her character as the the thing we're trying to develop. And in order to develop our character, we have to make some deposits, almost like investments. We have to make these investments. And it takes time, you know, and it takes effort. I like the beginning where he says, you cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time. I'm not trying to read too much between the lines, but it's the Lord letting us know that, listen, you, you don't know, you cannot see why you're being asked or why sometimes you're going through what you're going through. Uh, these tribulations sometimes may not make sense. But give it time and be faithful, and then they'll make sense. And it's, for me, I find that the more time I I spend in this life, you know, the older I get, the more answers to things that I've been curious about almost my whole life I receive. Like, why? And not just why, but you get to feel why. A lot of it comes later through parenthood. When you're growing up and you see your parents, why are they strict? Why is this? Why are they rules? Why am I not treated like a grown-up? You know, like things like that were just simple things. And then, uh, then when you get become as a parent, and you can you have a wider vision, and because of your mistakes and experiences, right? And then you're able to tell your son or your daughter something, and then they you realize you don't understand. Okay, but please, it's important that you do your homework. It's important because you're going to learn math. Well, what's math? I don't know. What's the matter? Once again, I'd rather have Fortnite. I'd rather have Minecraft. Whatever, right? And you're like, well, what you enjoy was built on math. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't see it yet. And I think so, there's a little bit of that here with the scene, especially because they're about to go through quite a bit. But also, we as modern members, Latter-day members, are reaping a lot of the benefits from the tribulations that they've gone through. You know? Oh gosh, yeah. And honestly, I think a lot of the times when I've personally been through tribulations that I didn't understand at the time, I think after the fact, it was like, if nothing else, I appreciate not having those trials. Like I appreciate the peace, the calm that comes after, you know, when it's over. I appreciate, take, take this pandemic, the fact that we haven't been able to go to church for 
you know, in, in person for a while. And now we are able to go back. It's like there's a new view on that. It's appreciated more than before. And if nothing else, if nothing else, maybe you get that out of it. I mean, there's a lot of other things to get out of it. But if nothing else, you can be like, wow, I took this for granted before. And now that I'm back, it it's so, so good to be able to be back again with other people in, in one place to worship. I think most of the time that's what it is for me. You know, if it's a, a trial of um, my wife and I, we struggled for a long time to have a, a child. And then when we did, it was like, my gosh, how do how much do we appreciate this? If it had come very easy, we probably would have still loved her the same. But just like having gone through the trial, like, I don't know, it, I think it created more of a, it felt more special to me as a as a person. I thought it was verse 20 and 21 were interesting, too. I have those, like, triple highlighted, dude. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you go first. It's just, well, let no man think he is ruler, but let God rule him that judgeth according to the counsel of his own will. Or, in other words, him that counseleth or sitteth upon the judgment seat. 21 was like a home run for me. I don't know, something about it, like, as I was reading it, as I was listening to it, every time I hear it, it's like a punch in the face. Let no man break the laws of the land, for he that keepeth the laws of, of God hath no need to break the laws of the land. I just found that really interesting. It's like, yes, you should follow the laws of the land. But at the same time, above all else, you should keep the laws of God. And that will, in turn, help you to be in line with society. I, I think... Um... I think I, we struggle with this ver understanding this verse if we don't understand that Heavenly Father, like what his patterns are, like kind of like we talked in the last section. He has patterns. And then the scriptures, like I know that a lot of people, and I included at the time, struggled with Nephi killing Laban. Yeah. And there's ways that people like try to justify, oh, well, he blamed them, and in their culture, if you were blamed as a thief, you could kill him, or he took their property, and as a thief, you could, and maybe all of that is true, <laughs> but ultimately, God told them to do it, and it wasn't, and one of the things that, for me, is really telling is that it wasn't Nephi's character. It wasn't his initial, it, it didn't even cross his mind, and he shirked from it, and he did not want to do it. And God said, it is better that this man perish. And so sometimes people take examples like that and try to justify, well, I'm following God's laws so I can break men's laws. And I think what, for me, what, what I was thinking about this verse was, I think the pattern of the Lord is always to follow the laws of the land. And I, and I would tie one more thing to this. Sometimes we can think, oh, that means the Lord's not inconsistent or whatever. But it's also... I recall the Book of Mormon, the the sentiment of the people when they were saying, people will say in the last days, a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. Mm -hmm. And he and the Lord kind of counters that saying, have I not cost more to be written? Can I not basically change my mind or tell you something more or tell you even more information? And that's kind of the pattern here is our disposition should be always to obey the laws of land. And that God is not out to destroy countries or bring them down or, or you know, create mutiny, you know. The other the other ones that, I mean, these are like some of the most famous scriptures in Doctrine and Covenants. 
uh, verse 26, and he's speaking uh, about Edward Partridge, who's kind of had a bit of a dispute with Joseph Smith. So he's been called to be a bishop, and Signe Gilbert been called to be his agent, and they're, they have the responsibility to purchase lands and to help people get settled and to give them what they need. And Edward Partridge is kind of not happy with the quality of the land that's being purchased. And so he's kind of questioning Joseph Smith about stuff. And they're kind of having a, not really a falling out, but a lot of contention there. And uh, the Lord addresses him directly, telling him basically that he needs to straighten up. And in verse 26, especially, for it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same as a slothful and not a wise servant, wherefore he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause, and do many things of their own free will, and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. But he that doeth not anything until he is commandment, commanded, and receiveth a commandment with doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, same as damned. Wow. There's so much there that we could do like an entire podcast episode just on that. Like, <laughs> But I, I think it's so great because what it basically says is, yes, you should be obedient. Yes, you should follow the spirit, but don't just sit around and wait to be told what to do. Don't be sit. Don't just sit around and wait for the prophet or for the spirit or for anyone to come and tell you what to do. If they do, act accordingly. Do it immediately. Be obedient. But if you, if they don't, it's up to you to act. You don't need to be compelled in all things. You should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. And that word anxiously is so great there because it's almost like I'm compelled. I'm I'm invigorated to be doing something you know that i i can't just sit idly it really it really shows that the lord wants us to use our agency not just when he gives us a commandment whether we're going to follow or not but even when he's not directly giving us anything to do use your agency wisely what do you do in your own free time how do you engage yourself in his work when he doesn't have direct commandments for you specifically so great I'd like to think about in the New Testament, the term when Christ uses the term servants. Mm. And there are several parables where he says, thou has not been a wise servant or thou has not been a good servant or an evil servant. Or you have been a good servant or a profitable servant. You know, in here, I thought it was really interesting. The last few sections, we've been reading about this term agents. And an agent feels like it's someone who is uh, an individual who's given a certain task or a calling and they're entitled to have agents to help them okay. so for me i was looking at this like i don't know could you call this the law of labor or how to labor <laughs> the principles of how to labor or work or get things done and he's saying that you should be an agent unto yourself so an agent Someone who is is appointed to help a task should should have the task so clearly defined that they feel free and empowered to do it. So as a leader, you can look at this and say, I need to if if I'm going to do something or I'm going to I need to delegate. 
I also can't do it all myself. And if you have been delegated to, you need to understand and act in the office in which he's appointed. You know, that term comes that you need to want the success of the outcome of the mission of the of the calling so much that you are anxiously engaged. And I, I think there's been several conference talks, well, probably hundreds on this alone. But the term anxious is not meaning anxiety like overwritten with with panic or, or <laughs> stress, you know. It's more like you are anxious in wanting this outcome. You are actively working. It's on your mind. You think about it. it it's it, it also comes like I think about the other terms that we're told when we want to pray for an answer that that you pray, that you study it out in your mind, that you thirst after righteousness, that you seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened, that kind of thing. And th and there's some very practical warnings, like if you've been given stewardship over something, you know, that those are words we've recently, stewardship and consecration. If you've been given stewardship, you need to use your own faculties and intelligence and even go gain more, read a book, Ask someone, like, am I the woodlogger? Ask somebody, let's go see who they're doing a good job over there. What are you guys doing right? Okay, great. And you see that, like, why Zion and why the saints were so prosperous. And they were called almost like a little beehives. And, you know, we live in the beehive state because they were so industrious, you know? And I think it was born out of these principles that the Lord gave them. Like, you need to be comfortable acting in your office, acting in your sphere of influence and, and, and bringing about good things. I don't know. Like you said, there's just so much here to think I, about. I think the phrase um, in verse 29, but he that doeth not anything until he is commanded and receiveth a commandment with doubtful heart and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. The Lord right there, he's just saying, if you're just sitting around waiting for me to tell you what to do, which may have been in these in all of these sections, there's revelations to specific people. And there's a lot more people than we hear about that are involved in the church. There's a lot of people who are never specifically mentioned in, a, in any of these revelations. And so you might think, well, the Lord hasn't told me anything. He hasn't addressed me. He's addressed Edward Partridge and you know, Sidney Gilbert and all them, but he hasn't said anything to me, so I'll just wait till he has some news. The clipboard, <laughs> right? Quorum, right? No, no one. The bishop hasn't called me up and asked me to go do anything, so I, I guess I'm good. If you're just sitting around waiting until you're commanded, or when the commandment comes, if your first reaction is to be like, eh, I don't know about that. Is this person really inspired? Or are they just doing this because they think it's a good idea? Or they keepeth it in slothfulness, which is like, you're just, maybe you got the commandment, maybe you understood it, you're like, ah, I need to do that. Yeah, I'll get around to it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I gotta head up and talk to so-and-so. I'll, I'll, I'll do that at some point. But you never really do it, and you're just slow to react. He's saying the same as damned. And I, I think that it doesn't mean that you're condemned. What it means is that you are stopping yourself. You are impeding your own progression. You are limiting your own potential. And quite frankly, the potential of every other person too. Because when we're giving commandments, it's to, usually to do something with someone else. It's to serve someone else or to meet a need. 
And if you're not doing it, if you're not involved, if you're not anxiously engaged, everyone suffers. And so that's why it's such an egregious error. It's not just about you even. It's about how your lack of engagement affects everyone else, creates more work for others. It limits your positive influence on those around you. Yeah, and I, I would also say this could be very practical advice for anyone's profession too. Yeah. If if you are a bus driver, a lawyer, a doctor, you know, uh, an architect, you know, a uh, fast food burger maker, a uh, taco truck runner, <laughs> if you do everything you can to the best of your ability, it will open up more opportunities for you than if you were slothful or didn't do them at all. Or just waited yeah. till you got a commandment, right? Yeah. The, the employee that's anxiously engaged in a good cause, that's at least, you know, tidying up the taco truck until someone comes with an order, doing something to to improve things, they're much more likely to be asked to do things in the future, to be promoted, to receive uh, praise from their from their boss or whatever, than someone who's just kind of like, just let me know when you want me to do something. I'm I'm right here. I'm ready. Just let me know. It's like. I don't want to have to let you know. The other part of this is like the no one told me attitude, which I absolutely cannot stand. You know, and it's like, hey, you didn't mow the lawn? Well, no one told me. What do you mean? No, you can't look out there and see that it needs to be mowed? Well, yeah, but no one told me I should. I mean, I think all of us, the nature is to be that way. Especially, I remember being a kid, my dad would come home and be like, hey, the lawn need, needed to be mowed today, you didn't do it, you know? And I'd be like, well, you didn't tell me to do it. And it's like, I I would like to not have to tell you, right? And I think that that's how the Lord looks at it. He looks at it as, don't make me have to command in everything. It's not meat that I should command in all things, that you should be compelled in all things. I I want people that are proactive. I want people that are looking for opportunities to make the kingdom bigger and stronger and not just wait to be told what to do. I know that you'll do what, if I if I address you in a revelation and tell you to do something, that you'll do it. But what about when I don't address you? Then what are you doing? That matters more. Verse 31, 32, and 33 are also interesting because 31, he says, Who am I, saith the Lord, that has promised and have not fulfilled? I command and men obey not, I revoke and they receive not blessing. So he's basically saying, Who am I? Do you think that I don't keep my promises? <laughs> and then I give you a promise and a commandment. You don't obey it. You don't get the blessing. And then in 33 he says, then you say in your hearts, this is not the work of the Lord for his promises are not fulfilled. But woe unto such for their reward lurketh beneath and not from above. <laughs> and it is like, dang, because he's basically saying you should be anxiously engaged in good cause. And if you do those things, you will not lose your reward. You will bring to pass much righteousness. But if you don't do these things and then say to yourself, I didn't get a blessing. Why isn't my life improved? Why have I lost my reward? He's saying it's because you didn't obey. You didn't do it with the right heart and the effort and the commitment you were meant to do. Well, the other part of that is that that statement that, well, clearly this isn't the work of the Lord, right? It's like if we receive a promise we're going to establish Zion in independence. And then guess what? They didn't immediately all build a giant big city in independence and have Zion. 
And so people might say, oh, see, is this really the work of the Lord? Is this really what's what's supposed to happen? Number one, you're not listening to the revelations. And number two, if if things don't turn out well, it's not because the Lord was wrong. If he gives a promise and, and tells you, hey, if you go to church, read your scriptures, say your prayers, and have family home evening, you'll have the spirit in your home and you'll have a strong family. And then you don't do those things and your family struggles. And then you say, see, I'm a member of this church and it's not strengthening my family. Yeah. Or 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 it's not just not doing what you should be doing. Or I think sometimes also it happens you'd go do something that you shouldn't have never done. You're like, hey, I'm going to take up drinking, you know, <laughs> even though I feel the spirit and I know the church is true. And then you lose what you had. And then you're like, well, how did it get to this? Like, why, you know, and we don't realize, like, there's agency involved. We have agency. And this is what the Lord is trying to tell us is use your agency to bring much righteousness. And later, next next section, we're going to see that there's a variety of things. There's a lot of happiness and joy that the Lord wants us to have. He's not just asking us to be obedient. He's asking us to be obedient with a glad heart, to be happy about it, and to feel the joy of being righteous or doing good things. You know, I think sometimes we make ourselves too big of a martyrs on these things that we have. We have tribulations and trials, but that is not life. There is much happiness in our lives. There's several conference talks about paintings, you know, and different strokes and different colors, and that just the dark colors are just as important as the light ones when you look at the overall painting. I think the other part of this is they're talking about the gathering of Israel. They're talking about Zion. And everyone still kind of has this thought of the group of people that surrounds them. And the Lord is talking about the entire world. And for them, that's kind of, way 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 out there the thought of bringing people from all nations uh it's not quite there yet i think they're still looking at it as like the the people around us our little community building zion of us you know and they're not they're not seeing what we have today which is the the church in every continent and spreading to as many countries as possible as being part of the establishment of a zion people and I think that, that that's kind of an interesting thing because the Lord, as he builds uh, line upon line with them, he's first trying to establish a firm foundation in that core group of people. But we know now that the, the bigger picture was that this should spread to the entire world. And he alludes to that a couple of times saying, you know, send elders to all the different places, and let them build up churches in as much as the inhabitants of the earth will repent, he says in verse 48. Verse 45, for behold, they shall push the people together from the ends of the earth, stuff like that. And I, I think it gives a little bit of glimpses into, I know you all are thinking that this is just establishing a city where everyone can live and feel in peace, but it's a bigger project than even you can comprehend right now, you know, and we're just getting started. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because he's like, look, in order to accomplish that bigger picture goal, we have to be anxiously engaged in a good cause. I can't be addressing individual people, telling them what I want them to do through revelation. It's going to get to the point where there's 17 million members, right? I can't be saying, 
uh, hey, prophet, go tell brother so-and-so down the block that he needs to sell his farm to so-and-so. No, I can't be getting that specific. You need to be agents unto yourselves at some point. That's how we're going to build this. If you have the big picture in mind and then you execute that according to the big picture. Yeah, and along those lines, in the next several years of the of the early church, there's going to be councils established, you know, quorums and councils, by which they can they they can then be given keys and authorities to figure out specific solutions to specific problems in areas and for now there isn't much of that so the lord has to be involved and very specific you know it, it's funny how the order it begins to come together and i like that we just read be anxiously engaged in a good cause and it's almost like you're being told go have some passion have some uh, drive but then there's two corrections that happen to very specific to Martin Harris and to W. Phelps. The Martin Harris one is let him repent of his sins in verse 39, for he seeketh praise of the world. Mm. And in 40, W. Phelps is 41. And I, the Lord, I'm not well pleased with him, for he seeketh to excel, and he's not sufficiently meek before me. So the ends does not justify the means, is what the Lord is trying to say. There mm. is a way to be anxiously engaged, there's a way to push the work to use your agency, and then there's a way to do it for the praise of others that is sinful and not right, and there's a way that seeking to excel, which we should excel at things, we should be good at things, but there seems to be more behind that where you're not being meek about it, where maybe you're overly confident, or now you're thinking it's you that brought this to pass, not with the help of the Lord, you know? Or at the expense of others, right? Yeah. If I can if I can put myself in an advantageous position and take advantage of other people, I'm pushing the work of the Lord, right? Yeah, but you're doing it in a way that is costing other people and it's actually detrimental, you know. And, and these two members, Martin Harris and W. Phelps, are prominent members. They're specifically being asked to correct something. And right after that in verse 42, which is one of the best verses ever, it says, Behold, he who hath repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. Yeah. And so that, that to us, I think there's, for me, I take on two sides of that. One is, if I am the sinner and the Lord corrects me, once I correct it, that's it. That's the end of it. I just need to correct it. And two... If I, others have made mistakes and they fix them, if the Lord forgives them, I don't need to be drudging it up and shoveling it in front of their face every time they're trying to change. Well, remember when you lost the horses, you know, or, you know, it's like, come on. And then in, in 40, 43, where he says, by this, he may know if a man repenteth of his sins before he will confess them and he will forsake them. And he, later on, he'll get more into this, but it's key that we confess and forsake and confession isn't dirt isn't putting our dirty laundry out in front of everybody to see and it isn't it's more we accept we're not arguing against it we accept i have made a mistake we right. come to that realization because later on it tells us that those who seek to hide their sins from the lord so the confess it's like you are coming to the lord and you are open and honest and you accept the wrongdoing but there can't be forgiven 
if we're trying to hide and justify ourselves all the time. Well, I did that because he made me angry. Well, he threw the stone first. And then later on, he tells us, if you can't do this, then the greater sin, if you cannot forgive, the greater sin is on you. Because it's not about the severity of what happened. It's more, do you know better and you chose not to act better? Well, and it goes back to that pattern of God, right? If you if you do something, do it in a contrite way. Do it in an honest and humble way. Come and confess, but don't come and confess and then excuse yourself. Make excuses. Yeah, I did that. But I did it because that guy made me really mad. No, come and confess it. Yeah, I did that. And I'm not going to do it again. Forsake it. Right. Kick it out forever. Don't do it again. And yeah, I think the, the really interesting point there is a lot of times we don't know the process that others are going through. And we don't know that they might be going through that process of confessing and forsaking. And all we see is what harm they've done or what bad that they've caused other people. And we want to keep bringing that up. Yeah. But remember, he, I don't know if he can be trusted because he did this thing one time. And it's like, yeah, he's good with God now. And you need to be good with that, too. You need to have the grace to allow other people to move past that and to be forgiven, not only by God, but especially by you. And it gets increasingly hard, the severity of things. Oh, yeah. You break my window. That's one thing. <laughs> you get drunk and run over my kid. That's a very difficult thing and harder. It's always important to remember that forgiving and trust are two different things holding rancor and being toxic and continues to damage your own soul, even if they never repent, even if they wanted to do harm on purpose and, and they never repent. You Forgiving is between you and the Lord and the individual, sometimes not the individual because maybe they've passed on, maybe it was harm that was done to you long, long time ago, you know? And it's important that there are some things that we just need to trust in the Lord trust in him even when sometimes we can't trust on others 59 we we learn a lot about sabbath day a lot about fasting and it's interesting because it kind of says in the in the chapter heading that the saints were kind of being instructed on how to keep the sabbath and how to fast and pray i think that they they knew they were supposed to do it it's in the commandments it's clear that they were supposed to be doing it, but this kind of outlined, this is how, these are the principles of fasting and praying and Sabbath day. Well, it, it kind of goes through number five, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind. Then six, love thy neighbor as thyself. Seven, thou shalt thank the Lord in all things, which is interesting. And eight, I really like, thou shalt offer a sacrifice unto the Lord in righteousness, even of a broken heart and a contrite spirit that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world, that thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments in my holy day. It's interesting how the, the Sabbath day is a protection against being deceived and being, uh, this sounds bad, but being tainted by the world, slowly, almost like poisoned by degrees. It's, it's almost like a detox. <laughs> you know where and same with like the temple like when we set ourselves to do something different we set something aside and there's various degrees sometimes you know it's not the same for everyone you know whatever you can do do it that's what i like for me what i've taken away from this pandemic 
It's like you have the sacrament in your home. But what he's really saying is you come with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Then that whatever you offer will be right, will be good. I was looking up um, as he goes talk, kind of talking about in verse 12. But remember that on this, the Lord's day, thou shalt offer thine oblations and thy sacraments to the Most High, confessing thy sins unto thy brethren and before the Lord. And I was like, what's what are oblations? So it's interesting because um, you, you look up the meaning of that word. And it's an offering to a deity, a public ceremony of offering sacrifice, that which is sacrificed or solemnly offered to God. And you break it down into the original Latin, and it's essentially a sacrifice. And it's interesting because you're offering sacrifices. Now, we know that in ancient times, these were literal sacrifices of animals. Today, we're not doing that. But what, what are we sacrificing today is our time giving our time to the Lord, um, maybe sacrificing the opportunity to make more money by not working? I, I think for me, I find the hardest sacrifice is sacrificing what I want to do, whatever that is, right? Like what, what I already have perceived. And for me, I like planning things out. And anything that disrupts my plan, I don't like. And for me, I have to proactively sacrifice my ego or my plans to say, I wonder what the Lord wants me to do. Slow down. I've set everything in stone. Allow for other things to happen that aren't planned out, that may be better or that may be needed. Because sometimes I, I'm like, I'm going to go from one to ten. And on the way, you get to two, three, four, five, six, and you eventually get to ten. But in some ways, I think at least for my personality, sometimes I don't allow for revelation to occur. And for, I'm so busy doing the tasks that I don't stop and say, what, what does the Lord think right now? Yeah, and I think that the sacrifice applies it, it to the, the Sabbath day, to fasting um, as well. Because when you're when you're fasting the idea is not just to go hungry right you are sacrificing a meal but what goes with that sacrifice it's not just to be hungry for a while and say oh i gave up my meal you're also contributing something with a fast offering um, you're also giving something else and so when you're sacrificing time on the sabbath what else are you giving what is your offering right well you're offering a sense of community to a ward you're offering uh, a, a holy day, not only for yourself, but for those around you. You're giving them the opportunity to have a holy day for themselves. And so when I when I think about these principles and why they're oftentimes put together, it's that idea that I'm making a sacrifice, I'm giving something up, I'm relinquishing something, and I'm also giving something else instead, right? It's not just going without, it's replacing it with something different, better. At the same time, yeah. if you just look at it as, oh, I, I can't do that on Sunday. I can't watch this. I can't go there. I can't buy that because it's Sunday. Well, then it's just a restrictive thing. And it's like you're missing the point. You might as well just do that anyway. You have to look at it as I choose not to do that. And instead, I'm replacing it with these actions, these thoughts, these things. Um, I, for me, I found that those are things that I have to exercise faith. Yeah. 
because uh, right now I don't feel that joy or that happiness in doing this. But when I do it, then after I've done it with sincerity and not trying to get out of it, all, you know, <laughs> I feel happiness. Yeah. And it happens so many times and now it's much shorter argument I have with myself, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, duh, I just do it. You'll feel better. Um, I like verse 15 and 14, 15 and 16 where it says, Rarely this is fasting and prayer, or in other words, rejoicing in prayer. And inasmuch as you do these things with thanksgiving, with cheerful hearts and countenance, not with much laughter, for this is sin. And I think what we're saying is not with light of heartedness, not seeking to make things funny. But you, funny things do happen, and you can be cheerful and stuff. <laughs> but with a glad heart and a cheerful countenance. And, this, and rarely I say that, inasmuch as ye do this, the fullness of the earth is yours, the beast of the fields and the fowls of the air, and that which climbeth upon the trees and walketh upon the earth. And this even gets even better. And it's like, yea, and the herbs and all good things which come from the earth, whether food or raiment or for houses or for barns or for orchards or for farms and for vineyards, yea, all things which come to earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and the use of men, both to please the eye and gladden the heart. You know, this reminded me a lot of a few sections back about the Quakers or the Shakers. Was it the Quakers or the Shakers? Shakers, yeah. Um, they had that specific mindset that we cannot eat meat. We have to abstain from marriage. We have to have all things in common and all these things. And you can get carried away into like, I have to live this pious life of minimal uh, feelings because any great feeling in an extreme is a sin. I have to be almost like the color gray and being neutral it goes on in verse 19 yea for food and for raiment for taste and for smell to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul and it pleaseth god that he hath given all things unto man for unto this end were they made to be used with judgment not to excess neither by extortion like you're meant to enjoy things it's okay now it doesn't mean that you should just kill everything and harvest everything and just have a bunch of stuff sitting around all the time because that's probably excessive and you can't use it wisely. And it also doesn't mean to, you know, take it from others so that you can enjoy it. But what it's saying is, like, there's variety. God loves variety. The taste and smell, like, enjoy things, savor things, experience the world that you're in. And that's okay. This... This really is it one of my hungry, favorite. makes me hungry, to be honest. It makes me hungry. Yeah, I know. It's one of my favorite topics of the gospel in, in the scriptures. Because there was a talk by Elder Holland, Be of Good Cheer, you know, where he talks about it might be the most broken commandment that we don't realize we're breaking. Is when the Lord repeatedly in the New Testament told us to be of good cheer. Um, and then I found this, this um, quote from President uh, Oaks. And it's... Also, his talk is titled, Be of Good Cheer. <laughs> and then he says, on a personal basis, each of us struggle individually with some of the many adversities of mortality, such as poverty, racism, ill health, job losses, or disappointments, wayward children, bad marriages, or no marriages, and the effects of sins, ours, or others. Yet, in the midst of all this, we have a heavenly counsel to be of good cheer and to find joy in the principles and promises of the gospel and the fruits of our labors. That counsel has always been so for prophets and for all of us. We know this from the experiences of our predecessors and what the Lord said to them. Remember the circumstances of the prophet Joseph Smith. 
looked at through the lens of adversity. His life was one of poverty, persecution, frustration, family sorrows, and ultimate martyrdom. And he suffered imprisonment. His wife and his children and other saints suffered incredible hardships as they were driven out of Missouri. When Joseph pleaded for the relief, the Lord answered, My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversities and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment. And then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt tri triumph over all thy foes. And then he says, This was the personal eternal counsel that helped the prophet Joseph to maintain his native cheery temperament and the love and loyalty of his people. The, the same qualities strengthen the leaders and the pioneers who followed and can strengthen you as well. I thought that was really cool because I like being happy. I like being cheerful. I like having fun. I like things that smell good and taste good as well, right? <laughs> but we should be very careful because we, we should have gratitude, cultivate gratitude. And it just really strikes me that President Nelson, during the pandemic, at the worst time, almost seemed like in the height of it, he asked us to write what we're thankful for and share it externally, share something that makes us grateful. And it's important that gratitude is not silent, you know, it's not hidden, because it can be contagious. It can help us change our perspective. If every time we bear a testimony, we're weeping and crying and anguishing over something, we may do well to consider, are we pursuing fulfilling these commandments of good cheer? If when we fast, if we're, oh, I can't believe, you know, I got to show how, it's like the, the Lord, when he calls us hypocrites and he says, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, they, they just, or don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who, who like disfigure themselves and, you know, clean thy face, you know, be of good cheer. Because you're, it's imagine that you're giving the Lord a gift and you're telling everybody around you, I really don't want to do this. This is so hard. <laughs> I can't believe I used all my money to buy this one gift for my friend, whom I say is my best friend ever. How would you feel? And if the gift he's asking you is not one of money, it's one of inside your heart. Like, and you are able to say, you know what? This is uncomfortable, but I love you so much that this is this makes me happy to give you this gift. You know, it, it's it's so different. You know, and and, and then even on top of that we receive blessings for it yeah it's for our good <laughs> in, yeah. the end. in the end he's just like all i ask is that you do it and you do it sincerely that's all i care about and then you're even going to get blessings on top of it so yeah it's it just shows the mercy of god that instead of being like all right yep you did it good job thanks he <laughs> even increases our blessings on top of that 21 22 and 23 of course really good where he says and nothing does man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things and obey not his commandments. And behold, this is according to the law and the prophets. Wherefore, trouble me no more concerning this matter. But, but learn that he who doth the work of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. And I like that summary because for me, it reminds me a lot of in the Book of Mormon where he says, the ways to sin are diverse. I cannot tell you all. I can't name them all. But I'll <laughs> tell you this. Be careful with your mind and your thoughts and your intentions. And I kind of feel like that it's a little bit like that where he says, in the end, just remember, if you do your best to bring about righteousness, 
you'll be okay and you'll have peace in the world and you'll have eternal life in the world and if you want to know specifics go back and read what i said because he says trouble me not more which he's not saying i'm tired of you guys i'm done he's saying i have given you enough instruction and if you really want to know if you really want righteousness if you really want peace eternal life now it's up to you to seek it to understand it and to go do it let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.